And if you didn't nip it in the bud, if you didn't recognize it at its lowest and most disguised level, uh, you couldn't very easily stop it at the later stages. So he made the, the phrase itself somewhat common. But I'm overlaying that phrase with what is much more traditional Catholic moral teaching. And it says that there are three sources of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as you see in this spiral of violence, I'm going to try to point out that it's also in that order. Now, that's just laying the foundation. But before I dive into it, what I want to say, you notice the world is placed at the bottom, the flesh in the middle, the devil at the top. I would, I would think I'm being uh, fairly safe in saying that up to now in human history, certainly in Judaism and in Christianity and, and uh, certainly Islam too, 90% of our attention has been oriented toward the middle part of the spiral, toward what we call the flesh. And so most people's moral thinking is entirely oriented, I think we saw that in the election too, entirely around the evils of the so-called flesh. And when you're simply focused on one thing, of course what you do is you miss the other two. <laughs> uh, so let me just give you that. And with that as a background, we're going to dive into it. And I'll try to explain all three and see how... Uh, if you don't recognize evil on the level of what I'm going to call the world, uh, uh, the flesh and the devil are inevitable consequences. They're already out of control. And so what the prophet tries to do, and the prophet, the biblical prophets of Judaism were probably the unique group who named all three, and also why the biblical prophets have been largely ignored. They didn't concentrate primarily on the flesh, but if the truth is told, very much actually on the world and what we're going to call the devil. So let's start with the lowest, the most hidden, the most disguised, and the most denied level of evil. We're, 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 our eyes aren't even attuned to it, so we don't see it. Huh? Uh, and once that spring action sets uh, in, in, into action, uh, it's, it's too late to stop it. Our, probably our word for the world is not the world, actually. It's the system. It's the way culture and groups and institutions and nations organize themselves to survive, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. They have to. It's inevitable. Uh, but uh, that always moves toward self-perpetuation, self-maintenance, self-protection. Right? So all systems protect themselves. Why wouldn't they? Huh? Of course they would. Huh? Uh, so if you think it's difficult to, to expose or unmask the individual ego, it's ten times harder to expose the, the evil of systems. Because really, there's no one bad person. It's, it's very hard to, to name it or to see it or, or to get somebody to hate. We're trying, you know, we're going to get... These guys who are the head of WorldCom and, and Enron, let's throw them in jail. I don't know whether they were guilty or whether they were not guilty. But what I do know, without even knowing anything about these two corporations, is that they operate like all corporations. Do you circle the wagons? You have to maintain yourself, perpetuate yourself. You have to create your own inner logic, your own inner truth, which has little to do with larger truth. But once you live inside of that, that becomes your whole logic. Now, need I say, brothers and sisters, especially those of us from the Catholic Church, huh? the scandals of the last decade have certainly shown us that this can even happen in the church by people as good as bishops and priests who should know moral theology but once you're inside of your own system, there's a whole bunch of things you can't see, you can't say. 
they just aren't a problem for you. <laughs> They're only for a problem for you when you're outside of that system. So it's like uh, even good people uh, can't see it. it uh, personal advantage, uh, the security of our country, so dominates their thinking that they can't read the larger picture of the whole world. I mean, I'm not against God bless America bumper stickers, but I mean, doesn't anybody, actually I saw one out here tonight, think that a more appropriate bumper sticker for a Christian would be God bless all nations? <laughs> I mean, what doesn't that, no? When you're inside of your own little country, you can't see that. And again, they're not bad people. <laughs> but unless uh, the, the lie, the illusion, is exposed at that level, most people, even well-intentioned people, will be fooled. Because huh? we can't see beyond our own self-interest. And somehow, if it makes us look good, if it makes us safe, it feels like morality, right? Now, one of the great favors John Paul uh, II has done for us is he has introduced very strongly into Catholic theology terms like structural evil, institutionalized sin, huh? corporate evil. That isn't the way most of us have thought up to now. So systemic evil, structural sin, institutionalized injustice, culturally sanctioned prejudice and oppression. Let's be honest, by and large, we only started thinking about those things for the most part in the 1960s. Up to that point, it was only people like the biblical prophets, Dorothy Day, uh, a few rare human beings here and there, who dared not just to critique individuals, but to critique systems. That was a new way of thinking. And we really haven't recovered from it. It, it, it. it changed our perspective in many ways. Once you're inside of your system, then self-interest, self-protection, even self-aggrandizement looks like virtue. It will be rewarded. It will be promoted. Uh, you, you will endure what we call now necessary collateral damage. <laughs> All organized anything, all organized anything, tends to operate at its own level of ego and usually cannot self-criticize. The prophetic instinct is precisely the ability to self-critique. How many people do you know who can creatively, positively self-critique? Not very many. Huh? How many systems? Even less. Even less. Very, very, very few. Even the church. You'd think if there was any place where prophecy would be possible, it would be in the church. But the Jews killed most of those prophets, and we've tended not to quote them or listen to them very much. Huh? So systems tend to protect not just themselves, but business as usual, what we call the status quo. Why? Because they are the status quo. Right? You can't criticize yourself because you are the system. Now, there were words for this. You find them especially in Paul's letters. His words, see, they didn't have the conceptual thinking we've now moved toward. He calls them the powers, the principalities, the thrones, and the dominations. That's very interesting that those very words later became applied to archangels. Maybe that's what you thought they were, archangels. Well, I'm going to throw one more little piece in here. This will all come together, at least I hope. Right? Did it ever strike you as telling that in uh, Christian mythology, devils are fallen angels? I just hold on to that. Right? Devils are fallen angels, right? It's something, just like I've been saying about the world, that starts off doing good, starts off intending well, and then it loses its soul, it loses its purpose, it loses its goal, its identity, and it self-destructs from within. 
And of course, what the prophets said is that that it actually happened to Judaism itself. Here they were Jews, but they were always pointing the accusing finger at, at Judaism and saying, you're hypocrites, you're prostitutes, you're fools, you're phonies. No wonder they killed them, huh? Anybody who'd criticize their own religion as much as the prophets criticized Judaism, you'd have to get rid of them. But what they showed is that's the very nature of everything corporate. Now, we're calling that now the world. Again, I want to remind you, when I talk about the world, I don't mean creation. I mean the system. The world is the systems of of self-perpetuation and self-organization as we structure them. It becomes not just the status quo, but usually the dominant consciousness, the way everybody thinks and the way everybody's supposed to think. That's why you can't see it. You can't see its problem, because you're looking at it from the inside. For example, I've always said for years, I've, I've been a priest 35 years, a Catholic all my life. I have never in all my years as a Catholic heard a single sermon on the Tenth Commandment, to not covet your neighbor's goods. Hmm? Never. Now, that, you know, I've heard plenty on the Sixth about not committing adultery. I've heard plenty on, on you know, maybe the Fourth, honoring your father and your mother, and, and Seventh, not stealing. Those are all the sins of the flesh. Hmm? That we don't have any trouble as seeing as immoral. But in fact, do not covet your neighbor's goods is almost impossible for an American to see as a problem, right? <laughs> you got it. You're a smart crowd, all right? It's almost impossible for us to see this as a moral issue. Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, doesn't make a bit of because it's called capitalism. Do you understand? It's the system inside of which we live, right? It's called advertising, Madison Avenue. Have you seen now they're even you can you can sell your forehead to advertise? Did you see that? <laughs> they have Taco Bell written across my forehead. I mean now I pay to go to a movie and I gotta watch ten minutes of advertising. Unbelievable. It's the only game in town. There's nothing else except buying and selling, buying and selling, buying and selling. If all the buying and selling would stop, uh, we wouldn't know what to wake up for tomorrow. There's nothing else to do. (laughs) Now you see why Jesus entered the temple space. And the one thing that drove him to violence was when buying and selling takes over, he knows it's the death of the religious instinct. It's the death of spiritual understanding because everything becomes mercantile and how much are you worth? How much can I get for that? And we can no longer read reality at the deeper level of spirit and soul. So you cannot critique what you are benefiting from. Religion up to now, as I mentioned, has seldom recognized systemic evil, largely because In some ways, not entirely, it was a part of it itself. Except in rare people, as I said, like the Jewish prophets, like the um, English Bishop Thomas Becket, who dares to point the accusing finger to the king, Bartholomew de las Casas, the Dominican in Latin America, who points out the evil of the way we're treating the native peoples and the the Spanish conquistadors do everything they can to destroy him. Dorothy Day, as I mentioned, Oscar Romero, the Archbishop of El Salvador. Once in a while it happened. But in a large, on a large level, this only broke through to human consciousness, as I mentioned, in the 1960s. Not that everybody got it, or not that everybody was really doing it from an enlightened spiritual place. But suddenly we started critiquing systems, that it wasn't just bad people, but sometimes uh, uh, the system, as it were, made them do it. I don't want to exonerate individual response or abdicate individual responsibility, but we have to see that there is a connection. We've done that perhaps most, uh, mostly in the area of sexual morality. For example, where we've come to see that so often sexual abusers were invariably 
abuse themselves. Now, we didn't think that way in the past. The only way was punish him. Now, that's what moves us to the level of the flesh. What we mean by the flesh, and again, I know most of you are thinking of bad sexual things that people do. That's not what we mean. The flesh, becomes rather clear in Paul, is individual sin. Personal naughtiness, right? Personal mistakes that you and I make. And no one's denying that that's a level of evil and sin in the world. Uh, maybe the most apparent one. Maybe the place that you and I most get hurt. But when we point our finger simply there at the second level of the spiral, blaming people, punishing people, making people feel guilty, I'm going to say it rather strongly. For the most part, you're wasting your breath. Think of all the sermons about morality that are given every Sunday in this country, right? Is it making a lot of difference? I always say I've only been pickpocketed twice, and it was both in Catholic countries, you know, in the Philippines and in Italy, Rome, in fact, right? (laughs) Now, I'm sure good Catholics have been told for a long time they shouldn't steal, There isn't a noticeable difference in Catholic countries and other countries or Christian countries and other countries. We steal just about the same rate, in fact, worse than than some other countries. So just railing against the flesh, trying to make people toe the line, you're going to go to hell. I mean, we tried the worst threat we could, eternal hellfire. You'd really think that would do it, wouldn't you? Just if you know your behind is going to be burned for all eternity, you know, still doesn't work because we haven't stopped the spiral of violence at the bottom. And so there's a certain inevitability, not just certain, there is an inevitability to human evil. When you're wounded, when you've been in any way oppressed, dismissed, abused, that evil has to work its way out and it will work its way out against other people. You can say all you want. You could not, you should not lie. You should not steal. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. But in fact, wounded people are going to do all of those things and forever. (laughs) And, And just threatening them for the most part is not going to make it stop. So religion has put most of its energy at the flesh level, trying to make individuals aware that they were wrong in their behavior. And I I could see the place for that. It's needed. It's often true. But up to now, there's been little recognition of the deep connection between the structures that people uncritically accept and are a part of and the personal evil things they do. They think, for example, they can wholeheartedly accept what I called before capitalism, and then we can dare to rail against so much greed, Enron, selfishness, materialism, and consumerism. You're wasting your time, all right? (laughs) Trying to make individual people feel guilty about being greedy when, in fact, greed is the name of the game, right? You can't reward it and promote it at one level and then shame it at the next level. It'll never work. We idealize public war. Nothing is more romanticized than war. No president has ever lost an election when we're in the process of war. But then we rail against violence in the streets, the violence of our young people, the violence at every level. Well. If it's good, it's good. (laughs) If it's okay to kill people and beat people up, then it's good. We can't say, well, it's good here, but it's bad there. That's what Cardinal Bernadine dared to call the consistent ethic of life. He said, until the church starts being honest and, and, and defending life, as he put it, from womb to tomb, saying abortion, the destruction of the earth, the the evil of killing in war, capital punishment, euthanasia, policies that destroy people, all of those are anti-life. And don't you dare call yourself pro-life unless you defend all of them, right? 
That's standing against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But most people don't do that. They'll pick one little issue. Invariably, that one issue will be associated with embodiment. Maybe that's where the word flesh came from. Because if you want to find a way that you can shame and control people, for some reason, shame is carried in the body. I don't know why. And it's not just true in Christian countries. It's every country I go to. For some reason, even our overweightness, perhaps, or our baldness, or, but certainly our sexual sins, anything we've done or not done with our body is invariably where most people localize sin. You would have thought in this recent election that homosexuality and abortion were the litmus tests of Christianity. I mean, they never have been for 2,000 years. Where did these come from? Huh? It was always the creed. It was always the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe the Ten Commandments. Huh? But suddenly we manufactured two, the two new ones, whereby people maybe should be shamed, maybe you think they should be shamed. But my point is, that's, uh, why is it always morality having to do with embodiment? Whereas other issues that Jesus is clearly much more concerned about, issues of pride and injustice and arrogance and blindness and illusion, which is 95% of his teaching, we conveniently ignore. As he said in one place, you strain out gnats and you swallow camels. That's straight from Jesus, right? You strain out gnats and you swallow camels. That's what happens when you can't see the true nature of evil and what it is that destroys the human heart. We tolerate the objectification of people, women's bodies in particular, in advertisement, business, and our relationships. And then we wonder why so many young, young men are so impersonal and life can be simply a matter of using other people. We wonder why so many marriages are unfaithful, why so many people are sexual addicts and out of control. We can't have it both ways, can we? Now, what I want to say before I go any further, brothers and sisters, is people who name themselves as conservative tend to put all of their energy at the second level. Everything is individual sin. Hmm? I, we almost brought Bill Clinton down over this. Huh? How dare he tell us a lie about what he did with Monica. Now, I'm not justified. Whatever he did, I don't care. I don't know. Uh, but isn't it amazing that it held the, the whole country and the whole world hostage? Makes total sense to me because that's where people get righteous and arrogant and upset. You can tell lies down here at the world level all you want <laughs> to the tune of lying about war, lying about government, taxes, anything. No one gets too upset because that's not really lying. That's just the game. And we all know it's a game and we all know it's a lie. <laughs> but what the prophet does, he just keeps pointing to that level until evil is exposed here until evil is uncovered at this level don't waste my time shaming people up at this level at the level of the flesh we haven't even got to the devil yet huh? conservatives put all of their energy at the second level trying to make people feel guilty and changed by moral pressure fire and brimstone sermons without ever critiquing the system. Tell me last time you ever heard a conservative critique the system. They can't, because they're on bended knee before it. Whatever their system is, their country, their church, their institution, or their group, that's where they've put all of their identity. My country, right or wrong. My church, right or wrong. You know? And they gather around their symbolic heads or leaders, whatever, and don't tell me anything is bad about them. They're usually not able to critique the legal system, the prison system, the banking system, the military system, any system, because that's where they get their identity. 
Remember, you can't critique what's giving you your life, right? If you get all your security and your identity from the American military, possibly critique it. Of course you can. If you see it as a possible, helpful good in this regard, that's good. But don't make anything, as the biblical tradition would say, an idol. Don't give it power that only God can have. That's what I'm afraid conservative people are very ready to do. Now, if you consider yourself liberal, you're not off the hook. All right, we're going to get to the liberal soon, right? Because the liberal disguise is is just as much a disguise. Um, Most of, of their criticisms are futile, actually maintain the problem by missing the underlying problem. They tend, by and large, morally speaking, to, as we put it today, blame the victim. Always blaming the victim never the system itself. They cannot see that individual sin is intrinsically connected to corporate sin, corporate illusion, and the addictive society that we are all a part of. I will not call the very addiction into question. I'll simply accuse the individual addict. I will not admit that we're all on bended knee before these illusions. Now, If you follow me up the spiral of violence, you see at the top of the spiral sets this terrible word, the devil. Hmm? Again, as I mentioned, the biblical tradition doesn't have our highly conceptualized form of thinking. Hmm? The devil is a word that's been used actually in any number of ways, and I'm not smart enough, nor do we have time tonight to to unpackage all of them. But I can tell you one of them. The devil was a word, a demon, a personification of this this power that's hard to to name. It's hard to describe. It's hard to point to it here or there because it's the spirits of the air. It's, as I said before, the way everybody thinks. So I think it's genius to call this third level of the spiral of violence the devil. Because here evil is again disguised precisely to look like something very virtuous. As C.S. Lewis put it, the devil, if the devil were to return in visible form today, would not appear with a pitchfork and a pointed tail, but he could only get away with being the devil, as C.S. Lewis put it, if he were dressed in a three-piece suit and talked with a proper English accent. The kind of man you'd just be happy to cocktail party with. Hmm? When the first level of the spiral of violence, the world, is not exposed for what it is, and then the second level generates out of control, as it will inevitably, murder, stealing, rape, lying, adultery, greed, uh, a third level of possible good and necessary good, now listen to me closely, always emerges to control all the disorder and violence at the second level. It has to. I mean, all these people are lying and cheating and stealing and, and, and all throwing rocks at our windows. We've got to stop them. And we do. Now remember, hold on to what I said earlier. Devils are always fallen angels. They all start as angels. Like the devil... Uh, they're camouflage. They, they, they are good as far as they go. But when you worship them, when you let them have total power, when you refuse to critique these systems, huh, they, in fact, can wreck the greatest havoc in history and never be called to question. What are we talking about? Now, don't call me an anarchist. I believe in government, all right? But I'm going to say it because the Bible says it, government itself. The kings, as it's put, that's the only word they understood. The legal system itself. The penal system itself. As some of you know, I was jail chaplain here for 14 years. And, And I could see how, I mean, yeah, a lot of these guys, they better be put in jail. They're a danger to society. But I was there long enough to see 
one of the main reasons most of them were there is simply because they were poor, right? And had no ability to defend themselves like Ken Lay can and can. And also because many of them were from minorities, an overwhelming amount of brown skin and black skin and red skin. And after a while you wonder, is it just people of those colored skin who happen to be the bad people or the evil people? Or could it be that they've already been pinched the most down here at the level of the world? But no one wants to ever ask that question. All we want to do is imprison them up here. So that's what I mean by the devil. Not that any of these things are wrong. They're fallen angels. Government itself. The legal system, the penal system, even the education system. You know, I was probably the last generation. I graduated from college in 66, uh, high school 61. Uh, You know, we were still able to get education in terms of liberal arts education. You know, I mean, history, philosophy, poetry, theology, uh, literature, a little bit of everything. What it meant to be educated was to be educated. Now I feel so sorry for so many people today, and it's not even their fault. They're they're well-intentioned people. But you and I know what education is now is job preparation. It's not really teaching people how to think broadly. It's preparing you to have a job. That's okay, and I understand that. But that's an example of a good thing, education. Who of us would be against it? Yet I've met, and forgive my arrogance, but I've met PhDs, actually I just met some very recently who were humble enough to admit it, that they were real smart in one area, engineers perhaps, but in the area of real humanistic, theological, spiritual thinking, they were still in kindergarten. That's what happens when education merely becomes specialization and, and preparation for job. You can know a great deal about very, very little. You know, the very word university, uh, where it came from, is it tried to expose you to the whole universe of knowledge. And not specialization, but universalization was the goal. So I just use that as an example of something that I deeply believe in, education. But even that, in many ways, and I know that word is hard and harsh to our ears, but can become a devil, right? where it looks so glorious, it looks so wonderful, you couldn't critique it, but you get inside of it and you say, you know what, it really isn't doing its job anymore. It's not educating people. You can't do that with government. You can't do that with the legal system. You see, devils refuse to be critiqued. (laughs) Devils, by their very name, are above criticism because they wear the mantle of God. Devils have to hide behind the mask of God. The tax system, the military system, the economy itself. I mean, it's amazing how it changed. And I know my parents were depression parents and dust storms in Kansas. They grew up very poor. So for them, I mean, when my mother took money to the bank, she could have had an acolyte on each side of her holding a candle. It was like a holy act. To, to put, uh, you know, 20 more dollars in the Roar bank account, you know. It's amazing in one generation how that's turned around completely, huh? that now the moral act is to spend more money. I'm contributing to the gross national product, even if I don't have the money to spend, even if I'm living on credit, right? <laughs> it's actually moral to spend money you don't have. Where did that come from? And now the government itself does it because we all believe it. We all believe that life. You can spend money you don't have. Now, any common sense person, I mean, I know I'm not an economist, but you've got to know your children are going to pay for that or your grandchildren are going to pay for that, but I guess we don't care. We really don't care. We like to be lied to. That's how well the devil is disguised, right? And again, it's too late at that point. You notice the spiral of violence 
It's too late at that point. Once you've bought the system down here, once you've spent years condemning all the sinful, bad homosexuals and abortionists and black people and whoever you've decided to hate and exclude, by that point, you so need the devil to hold down this surging unrest that you will support government, any military, any penal system that will keep these black people and these homosexuals under control, all right? And you know it. You can't critique the devil. And then we wonder why Jesus, almost half of his ministry is the exercising of demons. Well, we all say, well, isn't that sort of naive and silly? We know devils don't really exist. No, they really do, but they're the spirits of the air. They're the way everybody thinks. It's what everybody's agreed upon as good. So you can't see it as evil. You can't dare critique it because it would be to critique our blessed country. Right? How dare we make a God of our country or any country. And I would say that in any country. We're one of the few countries I know of and I get to travel in many places of the world and God bless the Franciscans and Father Gino. But most Catholic churches I go to in America dare to have an American flag in the sanctuary. Pure idolatry. If there's one space that's supposed to be beyond the nation state where you're called to be universal citizens, citizens of all the world and all the peoples, the Catholic church, the universal church, it should be in church. But we're so on bended knee, most Catholic churches in America, one of the few countries I know, have American flags in the sanctuary. That's when the devil has taken control. That's when you know you cannot speak truth to this people because their truth has become very small and very tiny. The third level of evil, the devil, as I'm calling him, is deemed absolutely necessary for survival. And it is, once you've bought the system. And therefore, it's above criticism, because that's all we have, is this system. We have not become citizens of heaven, as Paul says. Our citizenship is here, and this is the citizenship we are defending. Of course, the early proclamation by the church, Jesus alone is Lord. No one ever told us. That was a political statement. Because to say Jesus alone is Lord was contradicting the Roman statement that every good Roman had to say when they raised their hand to their flag, Caesar is Lord. And then the gospel comes along and says, no, no, he's not. Jesus is Lord. That's a political statement. And it's a political statement that undermines the world, rearranges the flesh, and exposes the devil. The third level of violence is invariably sacralized and sanctified. And frankly, I mean, I'm sure I'm shocking some of you here tonight. When you dare to critique it, you start looking like a dangerous person. I bet some of you are going to write to the bishop, you know. (laughs) You you look like a rebel. You look like an iconoclast. You look like a heretic. All that stuff because people don't realize they are in bended knee before the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you expose the world and the devil, they hate you. And they want to get rid of you, just like they had to get rid of Jesus, who showed no loyalty, or no, I should say, showed no undue loyalty, either to his religion or to his country, but radically critiqued both of them. So it's, it's much as children often do, I think, with abusive parents, or as cap, the captured do with their captors. I don't understand the psychology of this. But our need to have our big daddy figures be wonderful, to have a good mama or a good daddy, is so deep in the hardwiring that even children who are abused by their parents will sometimes refuse to see it. They will say, Mama had to do it. She did it because I was bad. You know, that's how deeply we protect the third level. We, we, we have to keep it disguised. It may not be exposed in any way as faulty. Paul, as we see in Galatians, is not afraid to critique the first pope. He says, I told Peter off to his face. He was manifestly in the wrong. 
If I would dare to critique a pope today, my goodness, I'm sure half of you would walk out. Because I understand you're not used to that, huh? But that isn't the great tradition that anything human, anything on this earth is above necessary critique. If it is, you have without doubt made an idol of that. And in the Hebrew Scriptures, idolatry is the only sin. There is no other sin except to worship things as God that are not God. And nothing else is God except God. And so nothing on this earth may be worshipped. Nothing. Jesus alone is Lord. So, as I mentioned, the Scriptures, at least Paul, calls these spirits of the air hidden underneath are the cap protecting it at the top principalities, powers, thrones, and dominations. These things are good and necessary. Yet notice that Jesus even calls Peter a devil. He's the only person that Jesus calls a devil. He's the same one we call the first pope. And when does he do it? Precisely when Peter has made a self-maintaining system out of their group and will not allow it to be critiqued, and does not want Jesus to have to suffer or the group to have to suffer. Jesus swings around. He says, you devil, get out of my sight. Amazing. So when good things cannot be recognized as also bad things, now that's discernment. It forces you to not either or thinking, listen closely, it forces you to both and thinking. Just because you can see my faults, and there are plenty of them, the faults of maybe this parish or the Catholic Church or the CAC or anything else. As soon as we see a fault, we want to dismiss it entirely. What we want to say once we've learned to discern the real disguised nature of evil is recognize it's everywhere that everything is broken and fallen, weak and poor. You and me, your marriage, your children, this institution. That, that, isn't, that isn't a put down, brothers and sisters. I might have just now given you the greatest recipe for happiness for the rest of your life. Really. Because <laughs> now you can start loving things. Now you can start accepting things in their broken, faulty state. You don't have to wait for things to be perfect to fall in love with them or you'll never love anything. It really is the recipe for loving. We use that wonderful song at our men's gatherings from Leonard Cohen where he says there's a crack in everything. And that's how the light gets in. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. We call it original sin. We were given this truth at the very beginning, don't expect a perfect anything. Don't hate it because it's the world. Don't hate it because it's the flesh. Don't hate it because it's the devil. But recognize it's a partial good. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That allows you to creatively critique it without getting negative, hateful, and cynical and bitter. And it uh, keeps you from uh, kneeling in front of it and saying, anybody who criticizes my country or my pope is a heretic and a bad person. That's infantile thinking. And if we don't grow up, we're going to have more and more elections as infantile as the conversation was in this last one where everybody took their little sides of black and white thinking and, and threw their cliches back and forth to one another. So it seems to me we've been able to leave people personally guilt-based and shame-based, but not really expose the very basis for that negativity and that shame. We are on bended knee before religion and country and military if you're a conservative, but you're on bended knee before the individual itself if you're a liberal. Liberals tend to be so much enjoying also the fruits of both the world and the devil, the system as it is structured, that they sort of critique it. (laughs) But once it really impinges on my paycheck 
or my freedom, right? Or my uh, uh, ability to do what I want to do. Liberals stop their critique very quickly. We call them limousine liberals, therefore. So after the 60s, the liberals started critiquing government, law, the penal system. They exposed the devil. That's in many ways true. That was the genius of the 60s. The devil exposed for what he was. But for the most part, liberals are so invested in the world, in the system, in the gross national product like everybody else is, that they usually can't critique it very much. The only people who nip this whole thing in the bud are, as I said, the prophets, or, if you don't mind me using the word, radicals. I know that's a bad word. Rodics simply means to go to the root, right? And when Jesus said that... Uh, his cousin John the Baptist put his axe to the root of the tree. He was naming and defining the meaning of a radical. A radical is someone who doesn't deal with the symptoms, and I'm saying flesh and devil are symptoms. Conservatives put all their concern in the flesh, liberals all in the devil, radicals put their concern at the level of the world itself. What Dorothy Day rightly called the dirty, rotten system. Right? Now, that's not condemning anybody. It's condemning everybody because we're all complicit inside of it. We're all enjoying the fruits of it. In fact, I'd say, after all is said and done, usually the only way, the only way to really be non-complicit in the system to some degree, we all are, that's why there's no pure pedestal to stand on. I'm profiting from the system that I critique, right? I fly airplanes all over, right? I've got a credit card and I'm a Franciscan, all right? Uh, so I'm enjoying it too. But the, the only people who don't are those people who to some degree agree to live a simple life. That's the only way out. It helped me understand my father, St. Francis. It helped me understand what religious orders were doing when they took the vow of poverty to say, I'm going to create another uh, arrangement of economics outside of this system. Because once you're beholding to it, you want to climb in it. You want to protect it. You need to defend it. You can't see its dark side. So that's why so many teachers of spirituality, all of your great wisdom teachers like Mahatma Gandhi, St. Francis, Jesus himself, Buddha. Notice they always live a simple life. Always. That's almost the only way to stop being on bended knee before it. Once you, 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 you idealize luxury items, status symbols, power, prestige, and possessions, which is primarily what Jesus critiques, check out the four Gospels, once you're into power, prestige, and possessions, you pretty much uh, are part of the game. And you can't get much distance from it. So we must recognize in summary the seductions, the temptations, and the illusions at all three levels. But most of all, I want you to recognize if possible that each one is reinforced if the previous level of the spiral is not both exposed and healed. And so I think authentic God experience, which is why we, we largely teach contemplation at the center, until you have another place to stand, unless you have another identity, we would say our identity in God, you really will have no courage to stand outside of the world. Well, because it's the only game in town. So now perhaps you can understand on a whole new level what we really meant when we said God saves you. I don't mean gets you to heaven. <laughs> I mean liberates you from the lie. Liberates you from the domination system. Liberates you from the illusion. Liberates you from pretense. Liberates you from needing to be anything perfect or right or wonderful. Liberates you to be who you really are. Naked and poor underneath your clothes like all of us are. That's the great liberation. And that's why as much as I might appear to be critiquing even religion tonight, here I am a priest. Huh? 
I cannot give up on religion. <laughs> religion might oft-times create the, the most narrow-minded hypocrites in the world, but it still creates people who fall in love with God. People who find their identity in this new reign, this new kingdom. And isn't that a political term that Jesus used? You know, he could have just called it the family of God. Huh? But he called it the kingdom of God. Clearly political word. That you had to have another realm of identity that gave you your status, your security, your citizenship, your, your inner authority. And until you can stand in what he called the reign of God, the kingdom of God, a different kingdom, a different kingship, huh? you would almost always be completely subservient to the world and therefore to the flesh and finally even the devil. So I'm going to stop right at that because I'm going to leave time to let you ask me some questions about this. For many of you, I'm sure it's a new and different way of thinking. But I think I could defend what I've said from very, very traditional, certainly Catholic moral theology, which is the only kind I was trained in. This might sound revolutionary or radical, if that's still a bad word, but I think, in fact, it's the basis for what we call discernment, reading, sifting, and sorting. Let me uh, just draw it together by, by a quote from John 16. In John 16, Jesus says, When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will show the world how wrong it was about evil, how wrong it was in its judgments, and how wrong it was about who was in the right and who was in the wrong. Almost as if he was saying, Get ready to be surprised. Or as Jesus put it, the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. Because some people who might look like sanctimonious protectors of the legal system or the prison system or the governmental system or the military might in fact, according to this analysis, be devils. And some people who are condemned as sinful adulterers at the second level might in fact be wounded women who have surrendered their heart to God. Maybe some of those who we think are, are uh, imprisoned completely inside of the system and look like they're a part of the world might, at closer attention, if you really know them and fall in love with them, and I know such people, they're really servants inside of it, doing their little bit <laughs> to bring some humanity, to bring some truth, to bring some freedom to their office or to their factory or to their department. So you can't tell by externals. That's the point. You can't tell by looking where someone's at inside the structure. And finally, that's why we have to leave history and judgment to God. But in the meantime, we give you this tool to help you discern so you can't be so easily bought off. So you can't be so easily fooled. So you don't easily sell your soul to the world, the flesh, or the devil. For more information on other books and recordings by Father Richard Rohr, call the Center for Action and Contemplation Resource Center at 505-247-1636 or visit the Center's website at cacradicalgrace.org.